Well, let me welcome you all again to Uplift. My name is Kyle. Uh, I want to let you know that our message tonight will also be streamed on Sunday morning for our online Bible class called The Conversation. So if you're watching Sunday morning, I'm glad that you're here. Please log into the chat and say hi. We've got a lot of people who watch on Sunday morning, so I just want all of you here uh, to know that. This message is also published on our podcast, so we get a lot of folks listening and engaging in Uplift that, that you don't necessarily see, but the Lord is doing good things uh, through others as well. We are in a series here for this week and next week, or maybe a couple more weeks, I can't keep track, called Meet Jesus. I really have enjoyed this series. It's giving us, it's giving me a second look at Jesus. It's allowing me to meet Jesus again. So thank you for coming along for the ride. I want to begin tonight by reading from our text. So if you have your Bibles, or you can find it on our notes. It's from Acts chapter 3, and it's the first 10 verses of that chapter. Here we go. We're going to read this together. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Verse 3, seeing Peter and John, about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, at the paralyzed man, as did John, and said, look at us. And the man, the paralyzed man, fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, verse 8, he stood and he began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened here. Now, that is a cool miracle story, a transformative miracle. It actually altered the course of this man's life. He goes from a beggar, moved him from being a beggar to someone who was able to provide for himself. It moved this man from pity to praise. Now, I want you to, let's talk about miracles for a couple of minutes. So these are no small things, by the way. Though we often read over them quite quickly, especially those of us who are well-versed in Scripture, I think, I do this, maybe this is a confession, but I think sometimes we take them for granted when they appear in Scripture because they're just part of the narrative to which we've grown accustomed. But you've been here in our toughest moments when it seems all of the forces of evil are rallying against us, we reach for that same miraculous power we find in Scripture. We want to see it for ourselves. We want a miracle that reverses the effects of sin and disease. In other words, I think we have a pretty interesting relationship with miracles. If we believe in Jesus, we believe in a God who can bend the laws of time and nature on behalf of those who are hurting. But, if, but often I think we're just kind of left scratching our heads sometimes when God doesn't perform those miracles for us or perform those miracles for those we love. Let me show you a story. It's pretty familiar. 
This is from the text of Mark chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 32. It's a story about Jesus. Listen to this. That evening at sundown, they brought to Jesus all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door of this house where Jesus was. Verse 34, and Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. And he wouldn't permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Verse 35, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed, and he went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon, Peter, the guy from Acts chapter 3, same guy, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found Jesus, and they said to him, everybody's looking for you. Everybody's looking for you. And Jesus said to them, probably not what you would expect, right? Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that's why I came. For that's why I came. Now, in this story here, Jesus performed some amazing miracles in a small house in a small town. Now, I want you to, to kind of imagine what's happened here. We're going to talk about this in a little different way. So I want you to think, that, imagine yourself at home, you know, maybe tomorrow afternoon, and you're sitting there in your living room, and you hear a commotion in your front yard, and you go outside, and you see people walking. They're walking. It's a crowd of people, and they are your closest neighbors, the people that live next to you, the people you know well, and the people you don't want to talk to, right? All those people right there. But you know enough about your neighbors to know that some of them are sick, some of them are hurting, some of them are financially oppressed, but you see this crowd all of a sudden crying tears of happiness. You see this, you watch this, and you're flabbergasted because you've never seen your neighbors interact like this before. You've never seen them look like this. So as you're watching this, the street fills with more people because those neighbors are texting other neighbors now. They're letting everybody know that there is this guy down the street who is inexplicably healing people. That's what's happening here. So in about an hour or so, your street is now filled with cars and trucks brought there by people from neighboring streets who drive for a chance, just a chance, that this unknown man might heal them or he might erase their debt. And this happens. It goes on all night. I want you to kind of think about this. In fact, in this scenario, the police arrive because the crowd on your street, you move to that street to get some peace and quiet. Now there's a crowd. It's so large that the street has become impassable. Red and blue lights are reflecting off of the windows from neighboring houses, but people have been healed. And this happens all night, all night until the morning, until exhaustion until this man has healed everybody, until they all just passed out from sleepiness. From this man who knows that there's more to be healed. From this man who knows that there are more miracles to perform. Who instead leaves before the sun comes up, tiptoeing over those asleep in the lawn to find a quiet place to pray, to go to the park. And in this story, you probably find yourself a little bit like Peter. You go look for him. You've seen amazing things. You go find Jesus. 
and you find him in the park on the swing set praying, and you walk up to him and you say, there are more people to be healed. Everybody's looking for you. People are wanting to make appointments with you, Jesus. What, what's going on? In the story in Mark, in this story, in response to Peter, Jesus admits something. He admits that as God, he did not become human solely to perform miracles. He became human to prepare people for a coming kingdom, a, a radical kingdom, a kingdom of inclusiveness, a kingdom where those who are sick receive care and dignity and inclusion and equality, really a miracle that's greater than even the healing. And it's the very place in Mark right here, it's this very place in Scripture where we discover something really vital about Jesus. That Jesus had no intention of granting a miracle of healing to every person, even in their greatest hour. We've been there. We know what that's like. We know it. We've been those who have fallen asleep on the lawn, waking to find Jesus gone, that this miracle we wanted is no longer, is no longer available. We found ourselves needing a breakthrough, needing something to change. And then we find ourselves wondering why miracles don't really happen more often. Why do we get overlooked? Especially, especially those of us who have received, have, been, have received the favor and the grace of God and have received the miracle, we wonder why they, we don't get them more often, right? So you know what happens in this scenario? We start questioning ourselves. We start questioning our faith, our prayers. Did we pray with enough fervor? Did we do that? Did, did we pray with enough consistency? Did our sin prohibit the work of God? These questions are endless. But nothing is quite as clear as this, that if Jesus is real, and if he has this capability, then we do want an appointment with Jesus. We want his full attention. Can you imagine standing before Jesus face to face, not having to explain why you're hurting? Because he would already know. And then feeling the change in our life, feeling the cancer disappear feeling the debt erased. Can you imagine that feeling? Let's go back to our text in Acts chapter 3. Now, we've talked about these miracles a little bit. So what I want to do is I want to read our text again. This is Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. And I want to kind of show you what an appointment with Jesus might look like post-resurrection. All the stuff that we just talked about, I want you to kind of keep that on file. Let's read this again. Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, this man asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And this man fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. 
Rise up and walk. Man, that gives me goosebumps. Verse 7, and he took him by the right hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and he began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now let's make, let's clarify some things here. Kind of break this down. Peter and John, they are in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, they are at the temple. This is a big deal. This temple, this location, this place, it's been a pretty remarkable location in Scripture, especially in the story of Jesus. In fact, the Gospels tell that Jesus spent his final week before his crucifixion in Jerusalem. You can read that story from Luke chapter 19. You might want to write that down so you can read it later. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus enters Jerusalem. I'll kind of tell you about it. He enters Jerusalem one week before his crucifixion. And on his first day in town, he goes to this temple in Acts chapter 3 and with a holy anger disrupts the commerce that's happening there. He overturns the tables and he drives out the merchants. That's day one. On the next day, he's at the temple again and he's teaching. And while he's there, the chief priests of all of Israel, finally, it's, it's, it's the showdown. They come to question Jesus. They challenge him. The next day in Jerusalem at the temple, he foretells the destruction of that temple. Again, at the temple. This wasn't a soft message either. The authorities, you can find this in Mark chapter 14, verse 58. The authorities used Jesus' teaching about the destruction of the temple to charge Jesus with insurrection and terrorism. All this happened right here at that temple. And the paralyzed man in Acts chapter 3, the one that was healed, was an eyewitness to all of that. Not only was he brought to the temple every day, but he had been brought to the temple every day of his life. We learn this later in Acts chapter 4, verse 22, that he was more than 40 years old. So this guy saw everything. He heard everything that Jesus did there. And he was seen by Jesus. Couldn't have missed him at the main gate. And Jesus didn't heal him. Didn't heal him. Because often an appointment with Jesus is a delayed intervention. Takes a little while. Jesus waited to heal this man. That's not, the, that's not a surprise ending. We read about it in Acts 3. He waited to heal him. You know this. We've talked about this before. Jesus has waited before. John 11, right? After learning of Lazarus's illness, Jesus waited instead of hastily returning to Judea to heal his best friend. John 11 teaches us that the waiting that Jesus puts us through is actually how Jesus loves us. 
because it reorients our gaze from our own infirmities to Jesus. Jesus' waiting makes us understand that we need him more than we need our own healing, more than we need our miracles. So in this waiting, or at least in making this paralyzed man wait, whether or not he actually knew it, this man was being loved by Jesus. Because Jesus' delayed intervention led to our story here in Acts chapter 3, to a story of divine intervention. Let's talk about that. Acts chapter 3, verse 3, it's on your notes, says that this paralyzed beggar was asking for money, for alms. Now that's critical because the paralyzed man has no expectation of being healed. He's not in a posture of faith. He didn't expect a miracle. He's expecting money. But in Acts chapter 3, verse 4, we find that Peter didn't offer the man any money. You know this rather, Peter demanded that the paralyzed man look at him and John. And it was to this man's posture that Peter said, I don't have what you want. I don't have any money but I'll give you what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And I think we all want to know the answer to this question of how exactly did this happen? Because the way the story is told, Peter had no expectation of healing anybody that day. He and John just joined the masses at the temple at the communal hour of prayer. People want to know. Peter does answer them. In response to this healing, a little bit later, this is what he says from Acts chapter 3, verse 12. He's saying this to a crowd of people who's questioning him about what happened. Peter says this, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, this guy that's now jumping and running that was paralyzed? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we made him walk? Peter admitted that neither he nor John had the power to heal this paralyzed man. Peter also admitted, this is huge, that their own righteousness was not enough to heal this man. That's power and piety. Their own power and their own piety were completely deficient. Peter was finally at a place in his life where he knew all too well his own shortcomings. So these two humans, even apostles, did not have the power to heal. But a little later, a little later, Peter does eventually offer an explanation for what happened to him and to the man earlier in Acts chapter 3. Let's read this explanation. This is from Acts chapter 3, verse 16. And by his name, by the name of Jesus, by faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect, this perfect health in the presence of you all. At this moment of divine intervention, the faith that healed the paralyzed man came to Peter through Jesus. Jesus gave Peter 
the faith to heal this paralyzed man. And the plot twist here is that this isn't the first time Peter saw this man either. He went to the temple every day to pray. He passed this man. Peter daily, by passing this man, daily was confronted with his own inadequacies to heal him. But on this day, on this Acts chapter 3 day, Peter knew something changed inside of him. He believed it could happen. He believed this man could walk again. And he was finally given the faith to believe it could be so. You know what this means, right? This is what it means. It wasn't Peter's faith in Jesus that did this. He admitted he didn't have enough faith in Jesus to make this happen. It's not my piety. I didn't do this. I don't have enough faith in Jesus to make this happen. Huge confession. In fact, he knew this every day because he saw the man beg. He hadn't healed him before. Nor was it the man's faith in Peter that made this happen. The man wanted money. That's all he wanted. Nor was it the man's faith in Jesus. He had no concept of this. What healed this man was the gift of faith given by Jesus to Peter. Jesus gave Peter the faith to believe that a living Jesus could heal this man. On this day, Peter was given the faith to speak healing to him, to speak Jesus to him, to speak of the same Jesus that passed this man in the days before his crucifixion, who waited until this moment to work through Peter to heal, to perform the miraculous. An appointment with Jesus is truly a divine intervention. But the healing of the paralyzed man is not the only miracle here. The second miracle, two miracles, the second miracle is the miracle that happened in Peter. And John, and I call this a different intervention, a different intervention. Now look, this is easily missed. It's easily missed, so we're going to talk about it. It's the miracle that happened in Peter when he saw the paralyzed man differently. No longer could this paralyzed man be ignored by those who entered the temple to worship and pray. The gate of this temple, the gate to past glory, to a place where God no longer lived, this gate to the place where the curtain tore at Jesus' crucifixion, this gate is the very place that opened to a new reality. It's the place where pain was finally noticed by praise. The paralyzed man, in pain since birth, meagerly asked for pocket change. But the disciples of Jesus could and can no longer see this paralyzed man as just a collector of leftovers. The faith given to Peter 
demanded not that he just heal the paralyzed man, but that he notice him, that he sees him. It is at this moment, post-resurrection, that disciples, through the faith given to us by Jesus, see people not as casualties or annoyances, but see people through which the glory of Jesus can be manifest. This is a different kind of intervention, but it's the kind that healed Peter and John and us. I think it's necessary here as we close to take note of something. An appointment with Jesus is always going to be glorious. It's never going to be less than perfect, but it's not always what we expect. We come to Jesus with our own expectations that often must be silenced to let the risen, living Jesus do miracles on his terms, not ours. Our faith, our faith is in Jesus. It's given to us by Jesus and the one who heals the paralyzed. But also, like Peter and John, it's a faith who heals the blind. And amen.